I was fortunate to spend eight years with him, the influence that he has is for every human being. This this is not exclusive to natives, although it you would hope that the native people have this image and this tradition that we are supposed to and and uphold and defend and and work with the element that we call Mother Earth or this creation. And every level of the teachings from the traditional ways interact and hold this as the sacred core or the center of how life expands out and, and how we interpret life. And when we see that not just the animals, but the plants, the wind, every life force that's out there was regarded and held sacred by Native peoples around the, the planet. And knowing that to disturb and disrupt those life forces, it will have really catastrophic consequences if we don't step up and try to get it to scale back a little. And that's what we're trying to point out is that these things can be reduced into the magnitude of what the prophecies talk about. I know you're aware, most people who are listening or following to these types of programs, they, they've heard this before. And the part that I, I see now is that it is coming to um, a very critical point. Um, I don't want to say that uh, there's a point of no return, but I have heard that discussion before. And I don't like using those words because it usually doesn't inspire people to step up. Um, if anything, I think it, it says to people that may have had some interest, well, why should I even try? Uh, and that's why I said, until these things have actually started to collapse, we still have the opportunity to become involved and work with this. So that's what John and I do, you know, not just together. We do our own independent work. Um, there's things that we would like to do collectively with more groups. I think that's going to start getting uh, established this spring. There's some people I met with um, over the weekend who have great interest in reconnecting not only the local people, but they're probably going to be putting up sites that are going to show these are things that we want people to understand and how to get involved with. So the concepts that um, are being handed down have been written about. They've been talked about, I'm sure, on many times on your program. But we want people to understand that there are some very simple practices that we can work with them and they can take these things home. Um, smudging is one, and just getting out with the natural world, even if it's in a park setting, um, these things all help when people say, well, what can we do? Um, we're not asking anybody to do what John is doing. I mean, he does a lot of independent water testing um, and 
taking the results and turning things in. What we're basically looking on here is helping people realize that if they see that things could improve not only in their personal life, but by having their personal lives improve, it's going to help that whole element of this life force get back some confidence that the humans haven't totally lost their ability to sustain and move on and be harmonious with the earth. So that's, uh, you know, what we've been working on. And uh, great why uh, it comes out this way is um, the great influences that I had experienced with Mad Bear. Um, and it's just, it's incredible. Uh, there's things that are just, they defy logic uh, it defies the physics, the science end of it, and it just tells me, in order for people to understand this, we we have to be working through all of our elements, not just uh, maybe of what they call scientific or religious. We have to. The Earth is not religious, and the Earth is not scientific. It is a entity of life that's a creation which holds many mysteries, but they're only mysteries to those who don't connect and understand. These are the things that uh, are important, and if they look at that ebook, uh, they're going to see how things actually started with and, and for Mad Bear. Um, you know, he. He didn't follow an activism path um, through his whole life. And even things that I was not even aware of, uh, Mac helped enlighten me to a lot of things that, uh, I mean, I saw a lot within the last eight years of Mad Bear's life, but there was a lot that had gone on in his previous times. And so he actually enlightened me to a lot of things that um, Mad Bear had, um, how he became an activist. And, and I said, you know, he asked me, he said, did you know how that happened? And I said, no, I knew Mad Bear was in the military. I knew he was a, a merchant marine. He actually, he stole his older brother's birth certificate because he wanted to do service. He wanted to help this country, and he he took the birth certificate, and they accepted that, and they let him join the Merchant Marines, and then by the time they found out he was underage, he, was, he already was old enough. It was uh, about a year and a half underage, but by the time they found out, um, he was legally old enough to to be in and they let let him stay so as he did this job during the early parts of um, world war ii it was things that he just started to see he had to to stand up for and do these things because no one was going to help him and when he he was actually injured on the ship, and when he took leave and he got better, he went to get a, um, a GI Bill 
loan. He wanted to get this this loan to build a house on the reservation. And when he complied with all the information, they denied him the loan, and he wanted to know why. And they basically told him, they said, because we don't have jurisdiction over those types of things and finances on the reservation. Well, you see, there's a dual standard. Even though they will tell him that they won't give him the benefit of getting a GI Bill loan, but then the government will enforce other regulations that they have no jurisdiction on on the reservation. So you can see that early on he recognized that there was a a dual standard being used and it was not fair to the Native people. And as he went through life, that's when he decided he was going to learn as much as he could, not only about the traditions, but he was going to learn as much as he could about the the history and how these things got to this point. One of the things that um, I remember hearing him so clearly say um, at one of the waiting periods at the Justice Department, he went up to the desk where the, the guard would sit, and he said to him, he says, you know, he said they spelled the name of this building wrong. And the guy said, he goes, what? He, Mad Bear said, yeah. He says, he goes, I've been here so many times for the hearings that we have scheduled. And he said, it's spelled wrong on this building. And, and the guy says, he goes, you're crazy. And Mad Bear said, no. He says, what's the name of the building that we're in? And the the guard told him, he said, this is the Justice Department. He said, that's what I thought. He said, it's spelled wrong. So the guard went up, he went out to the front of the building, and he checked the sign. He came back, and he was really pretty upset with Mad Bear. And he said, he goes, you're crazy. He says, it's spelled right. It's J-U-S-T-I-C-E. That's how they spell justice. And he said, and Mad Bear said, that's how you spell justice. He said, I've been here so many times, and he says, and they mistreated and treat us unfairly. He said, it should be spelled J-U-S-T-U-S. He said, just us. (laughs) (laughs) And when I heard that, I said, boy, did he really hit that one right on, because that's what that system is doing and has done. So he pointed these things out, but when he finally did get to testify before Congress at a hearing, he reminded them that he said, you know, we do have treaties, and the treaties are still intact. He says, we're holding on and honoring the treaties. And he said, it's just because you don't doesn't mean that they're not still in existence and intact. And he would remind them, he said, uh, maybe you were sick. Most of you were, were our lawyers. He said you were sick the day that they covered these things about treaties. Um, he said, let me remind you. He says, you don't make treaties with citizens of your own nation. And he said, so by you claiming that the Constitution was amended and giving us citizenship or status as citizens in your country, he said, is not valid. He said, you don't make 
treaties with the citizens of your own nation. So he said that's that's a, uh, an invalid cop out. I mean, he just you know when he would go down the list and when he would go through the Constitution, he would he I heard him quote things and I just said, holy smokes, this guy is just he's he's beyond an encyclopedia. But he would tell him he goes. Uh, in the 14th Amendment, he says, you go down to this paragraph, and he says, and where it, it quotes, he said, taxes would be apportioned equally amongst the population except Indians. And he uh-huh. said, there's a reason for that. He said, and, and I looked it up, and I said, the son of a gun, he's right. It's in there. And he said, the reason that you made the exemption for Indians, he said, because your big gripe was you can't have taxation without representation and he said and you didn't want us to have a voice in your government so you excluded us and he said and that's okay he said but now we want to have you honor the treaties and the way in the manner in which they were written and so i mean he he had really gone through so many things throughout the years that uh, that's just on one level of dealing with the the system that we think you know everybody knows about when you start when i started seeing and hearing things about when he would talk about medicine uh and the greatest part that he was so clear in defining what medicine was he said this is not something that comes in a prescription bottle it's not something that comes uh, over the counter from uh, some other manufacturer. He said, medicine is the life force or the most powerful element that we can access, and we have access to it. We all do. And he said, it's in the birds, it's in the feathers, it's in the insects, it's in the plants. So when he started describing these things, referring to it as medicine, that's when I knew he was he was actually going beyond the the physical or the the types of definitions that people look up. He was referring to these elements that reside within this life force, and that we have the ability and have access to them. But in order to do that, we have to go through the the learning or the teaching or the lessons, and we have to understand how to connect with them. So when people would start to ask me at times, they said, do you know Mad Bear had this, this spring tonic that he would make up? And they said, did you ever hear any part of it? And I said, well, I said the only one that I knew was it had something to do with getting sturgeon eggs in the springtime. And they said, that might be the one that we're, we were thinking about because it was something that had many contributing factors to it. It was maple sap with these sturgeon eggs and some sassafras. And he would combine this, and he said, this is a spring tonic, and he said it helps get us out of those, the winter uh, 
element, what they refer to as spring fever, he said spring fever is not just uh, a saying, it's it's a reality. It's a part of transitioning back into another time uh, cycle of season, and that's when he started saying these are the things that will help us and adjust us to that next element that is coming when the seasons change. So just hearing things like that, it started to really perk my interest. And when he would do, there's one that really just stands out. he, He would do readings for people to find out what was causing their difficulties. And the one that just, uh, that it was the thing that it really just confirmed what he had been telling me, things that some people might say, well, yeah, he, he talks a good story, but, you know, he hasn't shown us anything that can really define uh, what he's talking about. So he let me kind of sit in on a reading. There was a man there who sat down and he was a cab driver and he told Mad Bear, he said, you know, Mad Bear, he says, if I didn't have bad luck, he says, I wouldn't have any luck at all. And uh, Mad Bear said, well, sit down, let's find out what's going on. And as he started doing the reading for him, he uh, he noticed that the man was wearing a ring that he didn't have before. And then when he looked into the, the tobacco and the water in the in the glass, he said to him, he goes, uh, you know, I don't know where that ring came from, but he said, he says, it seems to me that's going to be the, that's that's the source of all of your problems. And he says, where did you get it? So the man told him, he says, well, I had a fare a few weeks ago, and the guy couldn't pay. He didn't have any cash. So he gave me this ring to pay for the the cab ride and the fare. And so Medber said, you know, he goes, you better take that off and set it on the table here. And as he brought me, he Mad Bear says, come on over. He says, I want you to see this. A piece of the tobacco, which I had observed many readings before, but a piece of the tobacco had sank to the bottom of that cup. And he told me, he says, do you know where the cedar is? I said, yeah, it's out in the kitchen there. He says, yeah, put it in a ceramic pot. He said, boil me up some cedar. And when it's boiled, bring it out to the table. So I did that and brought it out to the table. And just as he uh, was ready to work on that that ring, I walked away and he says, oh, oh. he goes, no. He goes, I want you to see this. Now, that little piece of tobacco was still sitting at the bottom of that cup, and he picked that ring up, and at the same time that he was dipping that ring into that water with the cedar, that and they moved identically. For every motion going downward into that, that cedar water, that piece of tobacco regained buoyancy and floated back to the top. And when I saw that, I just said, you son of a gun. I said, you know, Mad Bear, if I didn't see it, I wouldn't believe it. I said, I mean, even after hearing and and experiencing so much, but 
I, you think about it logically, and once something is waterlogged like that, it won't regain buoyancy. It, it, the only way it will is if you take it out and dry it and let it do that. But that thing regained buoyancy. It went right back up to the top, <clears throat> and I just I said it showed and proved that these life forces exist. That's amazing. That's amazing. And those are the things, the elements that resided in the cedar were able to reduce or neutralize the elements that were in that ring. And so we see that when people talk about luck, (coughs) it's not luck. There are energies that work with us and there are energies that work against us. And he was able to know what whatever was in that ring could be cleaned up and reversed by dipping it in that cedar water. And, uh, you know, I've seen him use that cedar water on other rare occasions um, when there was something that had occupied a building and it was a it was a life force, but it was not a good one. And he drove that thing out, and then he used cedar water all around the opening of the door. He used a feather, and he just splashed that cedar water around the opening of the door, and he poured some in a line across the, the ground or the floor outside, and he just notified the people. He says, if someone tries to bring anything in here to activate those things that were causing problems again, he said, it's going to stop it right there at the doorway. He says, it can't get past this. So after seeing that, and it's not like that lasts forever, so you have to renew it. You have to continue. And this is the thing we want to start sharing with people is this is things that they can do. We can actually show them, help them understand that this is a part of this life which has always been practiced before we got interrupted, before we got detached from our journey. And this is what we we want to help people with. You know, it's interesting because when you're saying that, talking about the cedar, I'm reminded that... uh, one of the things a long time ago that said the great healer, the Lord of Wind and Water, they said one of his uh, signs or indicators of him was cedar. So they said they used to they put the uh, uh, cedar trees on like the mounds. Yep. And that was a that was his sign, and said that you know people, most people in the whole, all the tribes in Americas would would honor those mounds with those cedar trees and wouldn't go on it and disturb it or anything. And because they're connected to the protective elements, Mad Bear used to tell me, he says, if you can collect some cedar for me. Now, there's several varieties in our area, and he showed me the one that he said, this is it's a flat um, cedar. It's very shiny and smooth. He said... If you're going to collect cedar for me, he said, I would ask you to do it during the the new moon phase. So that would be three days before the new moon, 
the day of and three days after. And he said, and when you collect it, he said, collect it from the east side of the tree. So you see there's so many other little pieces to utilizing or achieving or getting these things which I never heard of before. And I've looked at a, a number of books that talk about smudging, things that have good information, but they don't give enough detail. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give people the correct information, but then give them these little bits and pieces of the details that say, this is what really activates or doing it in accordance to moon phases and directional ways of saying just take it from the east side of the tree and by doing those things he said you will never have these medicines not work Mike? and you know when he, he said that one time to me <clears throat> and I, I asked him I said did you ever have a medicine not work for you and he said no and I I hesitated, but I said, come on, Mad Bear. I said, "There's nobody has a 100% success rate with something that you're doing with another human being. And he said, I didn't say I doctored every human being that came here. He said, I'm telling you. He said, I never had a medicine that worked. He said, because when I would see that this individual who I was working with was not going to follow all of the instructions. He would direct them to go make an attempt to try to get help through Chinese herbal or some other therapy that he said you may have more success with. So when I started to see how he understood how to apply these medicines, it was very specific. And some people, he said, will not respond and he said, and those are the people who they need to go look elsewhere. That's why there's many other therapies available, whether it's homeopathic. Um, he just, you know, he would rattle off. And now these days, you know, people who do Reiki, there's, there's so many things available to us that it made sense that when he was describing that this was the, the matchup that you you had to begin to understand, uh, boy, I just wish he was around a little bit longer. Possibly I could have had an opportunity to learn how to do that reading part of it. But as time goes on, it's starting to get clearer to me, and the things that he did mention and say, those become key. And, um, you know, just recently I had a friend who had asked me, um, so not so much in these words, but kind of getting at, so Mike, what's your goal? What are you, what's your, you know, what are you trying to do or achieve in life? And I said, wow, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And I said, because I never really looked at what is it that I'm trying to to achieve or do in life? And it only took a few seconds after that question was asked, and I said, you know, 
I guess what I'm really trying to achieve or what my goal or mission in life is, is to seek out insight. Because through these insights, we will get the answers and learn how to do or apply not only concepts, but how to apply these practices to the elements that need to be cleaned up or the things that we need to do. And when I when that came in, it was like, what a incredibly great question. And I had never been asked that before, and I, I probably wouldn't have known that answer a few years ago. But it's in the insights, and the insights can be just sitting when there's a breeze, when there's insects, when there's birds, the song of certain birds, if we hear a, an eagle or a hawk screech when we're outside, connect that to the thoughts or what we may have been contemplating at the time. These all become connected, and those are the insights that will help guide us or lead us to that next level. So when that question was asked, I, I you know... I was a little bit surprised at first of them. I guess that was one of the best things that could happen for me because it helped me realize that this is something we all need to pay attention to is what is really what is our mission in this life? What are we what are we trying to achieve or what is it that we're trying to uh seek and what are we going to do with it? So, through that experience, which ties all in, and this is why the the ebook is going to be. It is so helpful to look through this, and you'll see so many elements that Mad Bear had been a part of. And whether it's some people may think it's political, <clears throat> some may be thinking it's it's religious, but actually, Mac he enlightened me to another. Um, part of a reference to Mad Bear. He said, do you know that Mad Bear was actually regarded as the Martin Luther King for Native Americans? And I said, no, I didn't. And I said, but you know what? It does make sense because of his ability to apply the teachings, the traditions, to how we incorporate that into our daily life. Now, I did hear Mad Bear mention several times that he was approached by Martin Luther King and he was asked if he would join. Martin Luther King wanted him to join his movement. And Mad Bear declined. And he explained why he was declining. He said, although we share some of the same issues, he said, we're on our homeland. And he said, and we have to keep that clear. We don't want any of our issues confused. And that's what would happen. He said, if we joined forces or joined each other's groups, he said there would only be one common issue that they would want to refer to and they would want to ignore all of the rest. 
And Martin Luther King accepted that as a great explanation because the native peoples were forced under such horrible conditions. And this is the part that it doesn't really get recognized or talked about. In the early days when the treaties were being established, they all sounded really good. And everyone would be in agreement. But when one side makes a really good treaty and doesn't honor it, that's when we run into the troubles and the problems. And when we don't have the ability to force those, we don't have that opportunity to tell them or else. Because they say we're the ones that have all, we, we're controlling all of the elements, all of the, the forces within those structures of treaties, of government. And that's when, you know, I said recently, I said I think the biggest mistake or the biggest flaw that the Native people have, that they have and have had made in the past was when they're dealing with the government. They always deal with the government as if they're our friends. And we need to look at the history and say, they're not our friends. And when we do deal with the government, we need to really sit down and tell them and say, we're going to make an agreement with you, but we're not going to make this agreement as if we're friends. You're going to act like you're our friend, and then you won't honor this. And that's the part that they have to be structured in a way. And actually, Mad Bear said those things are already in place. This was another meeting he had with Congress. He said to them, do you know what happens when one or the other party violates a treaty? And no one knew the answer. And he said, under your structure, your standards of international law, he said, regardless of who violates the treaty, the status that existed prior to the treaty is what reverts back. And when I heard that, I said, that's amazing. And Mad Bear knew these things. Our government knows these things, too. In fact, in the 70s, they were trying to bring the international court to the U.S territory to this land they were going to put it in near right near the u.n and one of the german delegates told the u.s representatives if you bring this international court to your land you're going to have to hear all of the grievances from the native peoples on their treaties rights and the, then they they stopped they no longer pursued it. They wanted to bring the international court here so they could dominate the international court and use it to go around the world to retrieve or go after whoever they wanted to go after. But when that delegate explained, well, yes, you can use it that way, but you're also going to have to hear these other grievances, that's when they, they stepped away and they said, we're not interested in bringing the court here. Um, <laughs> you can see how the history, it tells everybody, this is what we're dealing with. 
And unfortunately, right now, do we see it even more that it's it's not only disregarding the native people, they're disregarding their own people. And then, and it's just it's it's people have to wake up. And again, we need to reconnect to the life forces which are in this creation in nature. They they're not political and they're not religious. They just are. This is what we understand. This is why watching all of the different varieties of birds, none of them gang up and say, well, we're going to go after this group over here. None of them use what they have as their gift to dominate or to say this is how it's going to be. You're all going to live like us. And yet we've been put into that situation and told that that's what we have to do. And when we do it, it still doesn't change. It doesn't help the future of the Native people. It doesn't help the future of the non-Native people. This is what we're trying to get at, to show them. Mad Bear was not just in favor for the Native people. He was in favor of all the humans that need to understand we have to stand together and we have to understand that this is a common goal, if you want to call it a goal, but it's got to be the common effort in life that says we need to protect each other. We need to look out for each other. And by doing these things, and this is why, you know, people who are going to look through this, the e-book, they're going to see how many things that Mad Bear was involved with. And, and it just it's so broad the spectrum is is so broad that he he did it all and i mean i i, I even here's a here's an a way out kind of uh reference he got a call from the smithsonian and they were really panicky and upset because they said the moon rocks that were brought back started to expand in the cases and they were breaking the cases that they were in. And they called Mad Bear to see if there was something that he could do to help them. I mean, they just were so bothered that they had no other choices. I mean, who else do you call? Do you have a uh, an act of Congress <laughs> tell these rocks that they can no longer do what they're doing. Mad Bear told him, he says, you didn't have permission to go get those those rocks and bring them back here. They don't belong here. You didn't do it because you wanted to have some insight or enlightenment from the gift that the moon has to offer. You strictly operate from such a narrow place. He, he said... Will he says I will call Rolling Thunder and Philip Deere and uh, all the rest of the medicine people he knew. He said we'll have a ceremony for those rocks, but he says you people have no idea the things that you're doing and the consequences that you can bring about by acting strictly from what you call science scientific things. After seeing that piece of tobacco regain buoyancy, I just said, he's right. 
They they don't understand. They don't have the right purpose in mind when they're going to do something. And Mad Bear saw that, and he just said, you guys need to wake up. He says, don't do so many things that you are without looking down the road to see what the consequences are going to be or could be. Or why don't you talk to some of these, what we refer to as the elders, why don't you talk to them and ask them questions about things of this nature before you go ahead and do it? And, you know, they they have no... They they really have no reference points that they they understand, and that's the thing that uh, unfortunately uh, they do things. Uh, look at what we're seeing right now: Zika, uh, e- Ebola. Uh, there's so many things that are not occurring in nature. They've been seeded. They've been devised because now there's a technology that guess what. We found out we can alter the microbial life. We found out we can incorporate and do things to the microbial life that it doesn't happen in nature. So now you're starting to see what the heck kind of mentalities are working on these things. Just because they have technology doesn't mean they know what they're doing. And that's the part uh, no, I'd that say it's we're, spiritual psychopaths. <laughs> sure, it, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is, and then they unleash that with no controls, and you're saying, you know, the individual releasing it. How do you know that this isn't going to come back to your family? And Mike, they don't well, think. Yeah, I have a clue. Yeah, they don't I, think on terms like that. Mike. Well, you know, the Hopi elders talked about that, Mike. You know, back in. Uh, I don't know, late forties, early fifties. They said that. They said, you know, the. Uh, they said they're going to uh, work, discover the map of life, and they're going to cut it. Well, you're right, <laughs> and, and that is because that template or that thing that we understand is what drives or designs or functions of as this life. They are now interfering with it. And they can't control it once it's released. Oh yeah. And Mike, this is it, yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't know if you could hear me. I was, I got knocked off the net. Did Mad Bear ever say anything that uh, that we might see, uh, uh, the moon shifting? Because uh, very clearly, things strange things are going on in the moon. I'm talking about from one day to the next, it's flipping and turning, and it's very obvious. And I just ran across this on uh, YouTube the other night. Have you heard about this, Mark? Have you heard anything about that? I've heard something about it, but you know, to be honest with you, I was going to ask you if you actually monitored or looked at it yourself because I haven't. But I, I've heard, I've heard that, and I've also heard this one. I think is valid that the the Inuit and other Eskimo tribes up in the north are saying that the sun has shifted positions. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get that one. I think is track. Well, yeah. I, I, these are all related items that uh, yeah. were understood amongst the native people. And when we start to, I know we have the technology to, but when we're only positioned on the earth, do the native people? Is it the shifting of the earth, 
or is it the shifting of the moon and the sun? And these are the questions which I'm thinking it's more of the shift of the earth and that it's giving us an, a different perspective of the sun and the moon. And that oh, yeah. the earth you're, is Mike, shifting. You're, I think uh, you're, you're, what you're saying there is backed up by the Hopi elders because that's what they say. They say that the the twins at the poles, you know, when mankind gets out of whack and out of balance and we're just, you know, we're just totally disregarding everything Creator said, mm-hmm. then uh, the Hopi said the two uh, serpent brothers at the poles are told to let go a little bit, and when they do, our weather and everything goes awry and all kinds of stuff happens. And if we don't listen, we still don't pay attention, then Creator just says, let go completely. <laughs> you know, at that yep. point, the Hopi said, we roll over, and, you know, one of the Hopi elders I talked with, he said, now, I don't think all of them necessarily believe this, but he felt, at least in their one group there, they felt that whenever the next change on Earth happens, they think that the Earth's um, axis is going to straighten up. In other words, the 23.5-degree tilt is going to become zero. It'll, it'll go back to that, and they, they believe that that's actually going to be good for us. Some of them think that the rotation of the Earth is going to reverse, too. Yep. So there's kind of combination. So the things you're saying about you think it's more what the Earth is doing, uh, I think that all, they would all agree with that. Right. And I did hear that when Hale-Bopp came through, <clears throat> that it was revered that those two guardians at each end of the Earth were told or, or asked, to be relieved of that duty until the next passage of another comet. And that was supposed to be the thing that they were saying is um, these were uh, the guiders or the the ones that assist in holding stability for the planet's future. But because the humans keep pushing, and and I'm convinced, that the last effort that was made that really put us into this this area of really uncertainty was when the fracking took off. And when they went with no regard and started fracking everywhere, <clears throat> that started to tell me that they know something, but they don't know how to use it properly. And... They're they're in desperation. So the last thing that they're going to do is grab whatever they can in desperation. And this is, look at what we see, what's happening to the petroleum industry. Um, I've heard so many things about, oh, people think it's great that gas is under $2 a a gallon. But (laughs) these people that went in, these businesses that went into the fracking took such huge loans on the prospect that they would be making tons of money not knowing or thinking that the Saudis and the rest of the Middle East is saying, we're not cutting back production. Why should we? We're going to flood the market too. And now all those businesses, in fact, it was was a program on asking what would be the next signs 
that we're getting into very close to this collapse. And I think the collapse is not just financial or political or religious. I think the collapse is environmental, and it's part of the, the prophecy. So he, this person's response was, when you start seeing these businesses that took huge loans to get into the fracking business start to go belly up because they can't recoup the amounts of money because they've driven this um, industry down to the level where it's not profitable to be in that business anymore. There's so many things going on that this is the thing that you start going, wow, where can I, where do I need to look? And that's why I try not to keep focus into that area, even though I kind of keep an eye and an ear on it, just to, to say, okay, we better keep a little bit more canned goods on hand. We better have a water purifier, uh, like a camping uh, situation, so we can take water and purify it. Um, these are all things that, uh, to me, it, we're right in it, and if we're not going to pay attention, then we better be ready to help each other out in what's coming. So with the earth and uh, recognition, I mean, I've heard so many things when uh, some people were setting up lodges about 15 years ago, and they, the, the one elder would say, who put the lodge up like this? Who put the door that way? And they said, we used the compass. And he said, you don't use the compass. He said, you better look at where the sun is. He said, that's our orientation. <laughs> yeah. And so, you see, these are the things that are, in fact, even for a while there, they kept announcing a lot of the runways had to change the coordinate numbers on the runways yeah. that are supposed to be in alignment with east, uh, north and south because mm -hmm. they, they were changing, and they had to change the numbering on there. So these are the things that tell us, wow, you know, the humans can and are having an impact, and it's not a good one. It's not, they're not doing what uh, people think is, oh, wow, it's great that now we can get rid of the little cars and we can all drive big SUVs, and you're going, wait a minute. You know, and the other part that I started to see and hear was <clears throat> the U.S. is exporting so much of this fracked gas that and what they're claiming is oh we're we're not actually making such a big carbon footprint well are they including the gas that they're selling to other countries that's going to get burned that's part of our footprint just cuz we didn't burn it we extracted it and we gave it to someone to burn so we are making a much larger carbon footprint and that's the thing that people don't want to look at or see because it's like, well, wait a minute. If if our efforts are trying to reduce this, then why is this field expanding and why are you, you selling it around the globe now? And again, these are things that are telling me I better pay attention to what John's finding out, what the animals are telling him, and I'm going to let you in on a couple of things here. I probably should wait and let John do it, but we'll we'll repeat it. We'll bring it up again. 
when I was out in Oregon last June, <clears throat> actually that was the middle of May, and I stayed till the beginning of June, I found a blue heron that was hit on the road. And um, I made an offering, I packaged it up, I sent it back to John. Now when John gets these animals, he treats them as respectful as a human being that's going to be cared for when they're going to when they pass on. He took this heron and he cleaned it all up and he checked out all its function, how its organs were looking. He said that heron stomach was filled with beetles. He said this is not their normal food. This is not their diet. They should be eating aquatic life. And he actually has a screech owl, and he did. He does the same thing. <clears throat> the screech owl, he said, had the same kind of beetles in its stomach. And this is the kind of stuff that he said the animals are telling us. And he believes, he, he asked me, he says, do you think... Roundup is part of the problem. I said, it is the problem. It's not part of the problem. I said, the overuse of Roundup is destroying these little life forms, whether it's mice or these other life forms that would be the the food for these other animals. I said, it's affecting it to the point where they can't find the foods that they're supposed to be eating. And I said, this is the beginning of the collapse of this ecosystem, of the environment. And I said, and this is not good. And so the more that he he will give more detail when uh, he comes on in April, but these are things, again, that are just falling in place with the prophecies that are telling us um, it's been talked about a lot. Now you better not be talking. You should be preparing you should be getting your things in line and and be ready to help each other because this is this is how it works um you you don't become the bunker mentality and arm yourself to the hilt and just say well we're going to survive the hell with everybody else we're all in this life together and the the concepts of saying we're going to help each other through and this is the only way that we will survive, but we have to help each other. So those are just little bits and pieces of what, you know, Mad Bear imparted, but I had opportunities to see ceremony, see things that, um, you know, you can't, you just cannot make sense of the things that we experience. You can't say, wow, that was that was a nice experience, or that was really cool. Um, <clears throat> there was one other uh, one that he put a, a number of us through. He he asked first. He said, "Are there if there's anybody here he's willing that uh, we we need to do a ceremony?" He didn't really give any reason for it, but it came about 25 years later that I pieced it together of what it was for. Um, he asked, he says, if you want to partake in this ceremony, he said, I'm going to ask you to drink the medicine that's on the stove. He said, we'll go over and scoop out a cup. 
He said, and if you drink this medicine, he says, I'm going to ask you to spend the night here. He said, and we won't answer the door. He said, we won't do anything until sunrise. So I agreed. I said, sure, you know, I'll help you out with this. And a couple other guys did, too, and then a couple other guys decided they wanted to leave. So we took the medicine, and uh, he said during the night, he says, if you hear a knock at the door or a voice, he said, you don't answer to it, and you don't answer the door, you don't open the door, just sit quiet. And, boy, about 2 or 3 in the morning, it sounded like people walking across the his the roof. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, I asked, you know, to Ted Williams, he was Tuscarora too, medicine man, and he asked me, he says, what was the medicine that he used? And I said, you know those little um, shrubs on the side of the road that has a red stem? He says, yeah, they call that red whip. And he told me, he says, that's witchcraft medicine. <laughs> so well, I didn't know what it was. I said, you know, we just, we... We agreed to help Mad Bear. And as we went through this, there were squawks and sounds that I just, I can't even replicate for you, but things I've never heard before. Uh, the, again, the walking across the roof, and this guy woke up next to me, goes, what the heck? He said, did you hear that? I go, yeah. I said, I hear it. I said, it's going. Things are getting active. Well, <clears throat> Fast forward 25 years, I remember the situation just that we were leading into. Mad Bear was contacted by Doug Boyd, and he said, Doug told him, he says, I'm getting a lot of complaints from the elders that someone is infiltrating and getting their personal information, and they're just harassing them. So Mad Bear decided, he goes, this must be people who are dabbling or doing witchcraft. And what he had done, which is it's it's somewhat dangerous to do this, especially if you're going to do it on your own. That's why he didn't. But to have the goodness of other people and the willingness to help, he used us to be a part of the ceremony knowing that there was more numbers in the good than the ones that he was inviting in using that witchcraft medicine. And so he used us to kind of stabilize or hold that element so that he could find out who was the one behind using this witchcraft to harass these elders. And when we went out to Oklahoma and we met up with Doug Boyd, Mad Bear said, I'll let you know. He said, I think I already found out, but he said, I'll let you know for sure when we get out there. And when we got out there, he was greeted by some people, some claiming to work for the United Nations, and they were interested in being a part of this uh, this Native elders gathering out there. They couldn't call them that back then. They called them uh, cultural and art shows and things like that, art festivals. So, But Mad Bear told Doug, he says, uh, I found out who it is. And Doug said, who? He said, that woman named Natalie Mormon. He said, that's the voice I heard the night that we had the ceremony. And, you know, 
it wasn't all easy to piece together because the timing, then I started to go, wow, that was right around that time. And in order to, this is this is what I had to kind of piece together is that in order for Mad Bear to identify it, he had to draw the witch out into the open to identify it. And then the only way to do it was to use witchcraft medicine that would draw that out. And then by doing that, he was able to identify it, gave Doug, don't, don't hand off any of the personal information, contact information of the elders to this woman, Natalie Mormon. She's behind this harassing that's going on. So you, you start to see that, you know, some people might look at it from the outside and say, well, Mad Bear, he dabbled in witchcraft. And if you didn't know the, all the activities behind the scenes, they might be right in saying that. But then if you say, but he did it so he could expose who this person was utilizing this dark energy and then put an end to it, and that's what he would do. So the man was brilliant when it came to... I mean, as I start to review through this life, I just go, incredible experiences. And for Mad Bear to be able to... I mean, who else would conjure up or think on that level to say... I'm going to use some witchcraft medicine to draw that witch out into the open so I can identify it and we can put a, an end to this. Uh-huh. And most people would say, no, let's just use the good medicine. We'll just grab some cedar and we'll just keep repelling. And then you start to see what an incredible mind, what an incredible teacher and and way to experience this life of saying it's it's just so amazing to me to know that we have to learn these practices and then we need to know how to implement how to apply them and as i start doing more review of how mad bear did these things i'm going the man was brilliant and and I was and I'm still so honored that I had that opportunity to spend these years and travel with him and learn about these things and continue to learn from them. It's not like the learning ever stops. You just start you review and then you go, Wow, this popped out of that. Now I see it from another perspective because I'm getting more experienced in life, now I know how things can work and how to use things in a way that people would say, you know, I never knew you could use witchcraft like that for a good purpose, for a good way. And that's what Ted Williams had told me. He says, wow, he says, you know, that's amazing. He said, because he, he said, that's witchcraft medicine. And then I was going, wow, I didn't know that. But piecing all of the bits together, then you start saying, it's an amazing experience. And, and if we don't begin to share these things, then it, it will go away. The sacred, when you don't treat the sacred in a sacred manner, 
it'll go away. And that's why we have to welcome it and honor it and practice and show other people this is how you can use this. This is for the good of the future for all our generations. And uh, I know that was one of the big things that Mad Bear was very interested in. So well, you know, book. Yep, go ahead. He's he's more powerful now than he ever was um, in mortality. <laughs> you know, Marcine Quinzer saw him. I saw him. You know, she gave he gave Marcine uh, Marcine. He wanted her to do art and wanted me to get in touch with my Cherokee genealogy uh, or or uh, my ancestors, so I would get involved. And uh, you know, um, in the in the Hebrew religion, there's absolutely nothing wrong. And it was carried over into the Catholic religion. There's nothing wrong with asking Creator to send these people to help because in the Hebrew religion they're known as tzaddiks, and that is the the word eventually became saint. And and these people can uh, intervene for you. And and uh, I thought I'd put that bug in your ear. Have you, have you? Well, I'll ask you. You don't have to answer. But have you seen him since he walked west? I I have. In fact, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the I have had two very significant events with Mad Bear. <clears throat> the first one was I think it was the second or third day after he had passed. I woke uh-huh. up out of a sound sleep, probably two or three in the morning. Sat up in bed. I looked across the room in the house that I was living in at the time, there was a street light fairly close to the house so that light would shine through the window. And there was Mad Bear, standing full, complete in his body, but you could see through him. And he had the biggest smile on his face. Uh-huh. And I, when I made contact with him with my eyes, when I saw him, he gave me that big smile, and he was gone. Uh-huh. And the next, next morning, I got a call from Rolling Thunder. And he said, hey, Mike, he goes, your buddy was here last night. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was here, too. I said, boy, I saw him as clear as could be. And, you know, when I saw him, there was no fear. There was no startling. There was nothing. It was just, wow, he's you still know, around. You know what happened the the weekend or, or the weeks immediately before Rolling Thunder walked west? Uh, Doctor Rogers was down in Mexico, and uh, the word went out uh, around the world that Sequoia's uh, tomb had been uh, revealed. And, uh, you know, people were talking about repatriating the remains and, and so forth. And, Mad, and uh, Rolling Thunder was all for that. And Dr. Rogers told me that uh, it was Dr. Rogers that, um, and his family that were led to uh, the tomb by an, an old 90-year-old couple that were, their families had been guarding it. Matter of fact, the two families uh, uh, feuded for a long time, and, and, and these two... 89 year olds they were like Romeo and Juliet and they got married and, and it had almost been forgotten where the where the tomb was but but uh Dr. Rogers uh, asked creator well hey you know should we move his remains and he said that he was hit by a force that knocked him down to the ground 
and he could not move. He never experienced anything like that. And he's he's a medical doctor, and he checked himself out. It was not it was, blood pressure was normal. Everything was normal. He even went to the hospital. Everything was normal. And uh, so they did not, and um, Rolling Thunder walked west like a day later. And, of course, he you know he had been, well, that was right around, uh, exactly that time also. Dr. Rogers shared that with me. But um, there was um, a group of people, the first group that went in, uh, Dr. Rogers' son found the, um, uh, the word, I believe it was the word grandfather uh, in Cherokee syllabary, and then they noticed, the material that had been brought in uh, was different from the um, material on the floor of the cave. And um, we now have a picture of it uh, up online. And uh, it's it's a state a Mexican state secret. But, yeah, there are definitely <laughs> powerful forces out there. And, and uh, it's amazing. Um, well, we're running out of time. You got anything else? Uh, got a few minutes? Well... I'm just going to give you one other uh, experience with Mad Bear. And it was the last, actually, this was the last one that occurred during a a sleep period in the dream state. And he came to me in the dream, and he said, Mike, I want you to write this down. And he had a clipboard with a pen hanging off of it. Now, when I first met Mad Bear, and I went up and visited with him for, you know, a few months, after a while I started going, wow, there's some pretty interesting things being talked about. I had a little piece of paper, and I would start taking notes. And Mad Bear didn't say anything uh, right away. But after a little while, maybe another few weeks, he says, Mike, he says, what are you writing down? And I said, well, I said, things that I hear that I think are really important. And he asked me, he says, is there something wrong with your brain? (laughs) And I said, I don't think so. And he said, well, then use it. And he was right. Because then he said to me, he goes, what if you lost that piece of paper? And I said, you're right. So I knew from that time on that the oral tradition was really key. It was really important. And that's why they repeat stories. And you hear slightly different versions, but the message is still the same. And it made so much sense to me then. So in the dream, this is maybe almost 20 years later, Mad Bear keeps pushing this clipboard towards me, and that's what came back to me was what he said to me way back in the beginning. And I kept refusing. I said, no, Mad Bear, it's okay. Just tell me what it is you want me to to know, whatever that is. And he said, no. He said, I want you to write this down. And we went the whole dream, all night. That was how, and that's how it ended. Yeah, And people ask me, they go, so what is it you think that he wanted you to write down? And I said, you know, I, I thought to myself, I said, I think he did want me to write something down, and, but that it was so complex, it had so many steps, 
that he wanted me to write it down. But another lady told me, she says, no, she says, I think he was just testing you. And he wanted to know that you were still able to comprehend this is what, why he was doing what he was doing, that you would understand and utilize your ability to retain. And if you had to, you could ask for this to be repeated again. It would be told to you again. And then you would see, This is. she said, no, I don't see anything bad with that dream at all. She says, she told me, she says, I think he was testing you. And you did write. She says, you, he didn't want you to really write anything down. He just wants you to keep using your, your brain, your mind. You use everything in your whole essence to recall, to remember, to hold the memory. And I just said, you know what? I think you're right, because he hasn't come back to me since, but people have told me they've seen him around me. They've seen images of him over my head. And I said, well, his presence is certainly felt. And I said, I'm just so honored that I had that opportunity to spend this time in this plane with his journey because I said, uh, I, and you know what happens is when you're so impressed by someone that you, you go, wow, he's such an incredible human being. You try without really trying, but you're everywhere you go, you're looking for another mad bear. You're looking for someone who might remind you of his his presence, of what he he represented. And then you finally hit a stage in life when you go, there are no more mad bears. Stop looking. There's other great people, but you don't need to look for another mad bear. It's okay. He is what he is, and there there needs not to be another one. He did what he needed to do. He left his message that he brought. He left a great impression on many, many people. So now I just said, I don't need to look for Mad Bear or Rolling Thunder or Ted Williams or Bertha Grove or any of the elders that I've already had experience with. I said, these were the things to tell you. There are good and great people, teachers and practitioners. Stick together. Work on all this. Keep it alive. Don't ever let it go. This is who we are. This is what we have to do. And we need to share it. And you protect the things that are sacred. And you share the things that need to be shared. Like the cedar water. Sacred but it's not one of the sacred things that we need to keep away from people. This is things that they can use to help themselves and others. So this is what we need to do. 